The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Shall we begin? If the 60s spy movie genre is mostly typified by James Bond-inspired hijinks, it might be fair to say that the 70s started to bring more serious fare to the table, or at least more consistently. Introspection of our own intelligence agencies, including their morality and methods, grew to become a staple premise for broad audience box office hits rather than a niche topic. I'm Todd. And I'm Dave, and we like to talk about spy movies. With Americans still reeling from Nixon's Watergate scandal, 1975 just might have been the perfect point for a big movie with a big Hollywood star that was supremely paranoid about our own central intelligence agency that could still be counted on to sell a lot of popcorn. This episode of Spies Like Us, classic for a reason, Three Days of the Condor. Three Days of the Condor is a 1975 film uh, with uh, events uh, circulating around that time, so contemporary. Uh, CIA being the only agent featured in this one. 75 is like right after Watergate. Conspiracy st- type stuff uh, is definitely uh, coming to the fore in a lot of media. This is also right after, I guess, the Family Jewels scandal, right, came to light in uh, December of 1974. The Family Jewels release was in result of Watergate. I think what the director at the time resigned, and then they pulled William Colby up as the director specifically just to, you know, go to hearings against Congress because they wanted to shut down the CIA, and uh, Colby basically spilled out a bunch of secrets. Uh, but he didn't spill all of them. There's actually a really good documentary about him that where he knew how to give answers to questions without giving everything. So he let out X amount of secrets. And so, like you said, this would have led into big conspiracy type stuff because um, that, that shook like the whole nation. So uh, some people kind of attack this film a little as being like kind of jumping on that whole bandwagon. Um, mm-hmm. But... You know, they had actually uh, pretty much like filmed this and and almost finished producing the film by the time the Family Jewels revelations were made. So there's not really a connection there. The movie is uh, based on a book called Six Days of the Condor. There was a sequel in 1976. So right after this movie came out, I guess he said it's time to cash in on this cow. It uh, did not do well. Uh, kind of, kind of went nowhere, and right now it's like crazy rare. Uh, Nine hundred dollars for a hardcover and seven hundred for a paperback. That's a little much. <laughs> I guess that's how little it was printed. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You just can't find a copy. Exactly. And then, crazy later in 2015, there's another sequel, which is uh, presaged by a short story with the weirdly appealing tagline check this out this is like the the sales pitch of the book or the elevator or this is like i'm i'm setting the scene i'm trying to sell you this book you know la 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 uh they led him out of the cia's secret insane asylum as the sun set over autumn's forest there in maine (laughs) 
So apparently the story's taken some twists and turns by that point. There was a TV series that came out in 2018. It was canceled though, after just a couple years. Um, but that's all the, like the versions of the source material there. Um, we got uh, Max von Sydow here. Uh, when, when, when you hear that name, what do any roles pop out in your mind? Do you know this guy? No, not at all. No. Uh, did you ever see Flash Gordon? Yeah, when I was like a kid. Okay. Flash. Uh-huh. I love that movie. He was Ming the Merciless. Uh, oh. Really incredible Ming the Merciless. He's also in The Exorcist. Um, and Dune and Judge Dredd uh, showed up in a Star Wars movie, and he's another guy that uh, shows up in Game of Thrones somewhere. I don't know if that maybe rings a bell for you. You've seen that series. Uh, yeah, but I don't really know. Which guy is this in Three Days of the Condor? He's Jobert, the, the hitman. Oh, the hitman? Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, so wait, oh, was he the priest in The Exorcist? I think so. So, oh. yeah, if you saw him in Game of, Game of Thrones, you're probably looking for someone very, very old by this point. Yeah, he's the three-eyed raven before um, the Stark boy takes over. That is him. Oh, my God, I'm looking at pictures. That's definitely him. That's funny. And then here you're saying he was the priest in The Exorcist? I'm pretty sure he's the priest. Oh, yeah, he, he's the main priest. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's definitely him. Wow. Yeah. Uh, solid actor. I've liked him in everything that I've seen. Uh, came across that he's had a 70-year... I, actually, I think he might have passed uh, by now, but he did have a 70-year career as an actor, appearing in more than 150 films. Wow. Which I thought was a really high number, and it got me curious about, uh, like, how high is that really? And not to get too sidetracked, but I am kind of interested in this kind of stuff. Um I, I kind of got confusing and conflicting reports on on who has the most acting roles of all time, uh, especially since I was only interested in movies. Um, different people, you know, have published these at different times and using different metrics, and they're not all necessarily... Some of them are just those kind of bullshit listicles that don't really go into, like, any detail on, like, this is exactly what we're counting um, but, uh, the names that appear often on these lists are not going to be a big surprise to us. You're going to see your Christopher Lee, your James Earl Jones, Sam Jackson, of course, uh, Susan Sarandon and Danny Trejo are some notable names in the top tier. All of those are way up above sit though. They're resting in like the, between the 200 and 300, uh, range. All those people though, get completely blown away by a couple of Bollywood stars, uh, one male, one female, that have uh, each rocketed past the 1,000 films mark. And wow, that, that's uh, a lot. <laughs> that is, that is, I, yeah, I'd say that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, and you could count Mel Blanc if you count cartoon shorts as films. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, but uh, this film uh, supposedly is the inspiration or a, a major inspiration for the Captain America, the winter soldier film, which is a film that I remember liking a lot, but I don't remember the plot well enough 
to understand how these how it connects with three days of the condor at all right and I, and I assume you don't either because you pay even less attention to marvel movies than i do if i'm not yes. mistaken. <laughs> yeah no not not at all there's a few that i like i enjoyed but i'm definitely not on the on the list of super fans sure um, but yeah, that wasn't just idle musing. I, I wanted to confirm that. It's confirmed in interviews with the with the writers of Captain America uh, that uh, that this this was one of the first films on their mind. And uh, then, of course, that would explain why Robert Redford uh, shows up in that film as as the villain. Uh, okay, I got two notes on Dunaway before the briefing room. Uh-huh. Uh. Okay, this one's funny. Faye Dunaway, uh, who's not a person I know. I, I know the name so much better than I know her work. Uh, she's from a, a time of movies that is just not really in my wheelhouse. Um, she said that this movie was one of her biggest acting challenges because she was asked to portray a woman that didn't want Robert Redford to tie her up and rape her. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Um, she said she actually like had trouble like not bursting out laughing during like the creeper scenes in this movie. Right. <laughs> uh, so okay, you know I'm not telling tales out of school. She put it right there in her memoirs. And then uh, this weird one, which I I don't know if it's an only, but it's the only I've ever heard of. And I didn't catch this person. I only got this off wiki, but near the end of the film in New York, you're going to see a movie billboard for the towering Inferno, which starred Faye Dunaway. And you can see the name Dunaway. It's partially obscured. So you don't entirely see Faye Dunaway, but you do say the name Dunaway. And I'm trying to think if there's, well, I mean, I'm sure I can't think of one, but that's just like a, a weird trivia oddity to have a movie that someone's play acting in that has, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a weird like twilight zone paradox <laughs> going on there. I wonder if that was an accident or not that they just weren't, or if it was a studio attempt, there was some, a lot of product placement and a lot of product, product shaming. There was the whole, like, fuck the wall street journal. Then there's the like, Oh, shot at the end for the New York times being the savior of all mankind. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, so I, w- I wonder if that was a mistake or if that was planned by the studio. I wonder if Tony was telling done by the same studio. Ooh. Uh, That'd be interesting to know, but uh, I'm not going to Google it right now. <laughs> but uh, it definitely could have still been like in the studio system. And even today's, even today, even though we just don't have like the totally locked in studio system of the past, like it's still true that certain actors just tend to work with certain studios. <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Um that's what I've got for context of the movie. And we head now to the briefing room to talk about the tradecraft. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. 
All right. So Dave, you tell me what is, what is, what is Robert Redford's character? Oh, well, let's give him a, a name. Uh, Joe Turner <laughs> at this point. Right. Yeah. We're going to talk story. What is Joe Turner's job? Um, they kept talking about how he just reads books. Um, and that I believe that this would have been like old school open source intelligence or OSINT from what I would understand. Um, not only do you want to keep tabs on what other countries are publishing and what stories are being written and what are news being said, but I think in the movie they said there might be some code that they're looking for, and they put some of what they think might be code into their computer systems to track code is kind of what they described, but overall they just read shit from all over the world is, is, is what that whole, I guess, building or crew or, you know, department does um you know there, but there's a lot of jokes to play like you know when higgins is like oh you really do read everything so i th- i think that's what their job is is just reading shit and and trying to glean information and analyze stuff to provide theories to the company and in this case it's uh it's a novel which i i'm a little iffy on like I don't really understand who's trying to pass secret information in nov in published novels. That seems like a very exorbitantly expensive and unnecessarily complicated way of sharing secret information. Um, well, you're getting paid for the distribution, right? It's not like they, I presume they would have like a contract with someone you know, like they, like it's been told or it's been discovered and talked about heavily that there's people in Hollywood from our intelligence as well as foreign intelligence uh, that like just submit scripts because you don't have to, you can just submit a script if you wanted to, right? So the, the idea, I guess, is people have developed a pen name for themselves. And if you're in a different country uh, and I translate my book into your country, and you know the right signals, I guess you'd read the book and find the code. Well, now that um, you me- now that you mentioned Hollywood, I mean, now I'm feeling like maybe this was actually more of a bit of a, a propaganda piece because that makes more sense to me. Right. Um, well, it could also be that 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 was the other reason I was going to say maybe it's not coded so much as propaganda. Right, because this would be a good distribution source for propaganda secret messages is like not so much because like you know you only get to print it once and it's just out there and once like how many people do you need to find to you know out there do you need to accidentally or on purpose note you know what do you say like you know the book's coming out on september 30th everyone go buy the book (laughs) (laughs) and it's gonna lay out the next year's plan or some shit Right. <laughs> right. But yeah. as a piece of propaganda, this makes a lot more sense to me. And then, so the, the key, the thing he's keying, one thing he's keying in on is that it was published in three specific languages that uh, just in his experience, like it's not a normal uh, set of countries to target. Right. Um for the for the book you know like i guess this is something i could i could say from doing a lot of localization uh for video games work um 
you know, I've, you know, I've done uh, games in French, German. I kind of know what the, like the common targets you might hit or for a big, big, big game, you know, that's going really worldwide. You know, I know what kind of countries that would expand out to. And I can tell you, like, if I saw a video game that was like only published in, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, the Netherlands and uh, Argentina, Mm -hmm. like that would be something I would, that would really raise my eyebrows. I would say, who the fuck are these people? (laughs) (laughs) uh, What's, what's going on here? And that seems to be like kind of similar to what's going on here. I guess there must be some other stuff in the material that's got his hackles up, but I don't think we're privy to that. And then they've got their, their, they're working out of New York with the a literary society as, as a little light bit of cover. Um, it's a pretty, uh, uh, it's a, it's a very satellite D office. Uh, yeah. they're not operating in the basement of Langley or at the Pentagon or something. They just kind of have a light, light cover, a little bit of security with the camera, uh, the receptionist. The security guard. Right, one security guard who like lives under the stairs, apparently. <laughs> you know, and the receptionist has got a handgun. Uh, Movie-wise, this is what I would consider a pretty soft target. So here's what here's what ha- happens. I'm gonna kind of lay out the the overall plot of the film, like the conspiracy, and then get into some details on some stuff. There's a guy in the CIA named Atwood. And he's got some kind of secret CIA plan to manipulate oil markets um, in particularly three countries, it looks like. And it's not something that he's sharing with his superiors. Uh, So I guess kind of a rogue closet operation. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much uh, actual like of this kind of thing is, is authentic or realistic that, uh, you know, someone's working on something within the CIA that's, you know, it's, it's like a big deal, but like none of his bosses know about it and it's all off the books or something. Turner's report on a certain novel has raised alarms with Atwood that the plan could be unveiled. He brings in an outside contract killer. That's Joe bear. That's our Max von Sydow character to silence Turner's office. He kills everyone. He doesn't get Turner because Turner happens to be out to lunch at the moment. Turner tries to come in from the cold to uh, the New York chief of CIA, the regional um, manager, I guess, uh, played by Higgins, or no, who's named Higgins. Higgins is kind of just manipulated by Atwood, unknowingly it seems into setting Turner up. This is throws audience suspicion on Higgins at first, but in the end we'll actually find out he's not necessarily decent, but he's not, he's not in the conspiracy, uh, the core conspiracy. Um, Or at least the film's conspiracy. He might be involved in a lot of others, but he's not involved in this conspiracy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Turner follows some clues, eventually finds the Atwood connection and confronts him. And then in a huge twist, Jobert arrives to kill Atwood and make an end to the whole affair. Uh, Okay. 
So that's what happened. What do we got going on here? I would say I I would say it's a huge overreaction on Atwood's part. Um, oh, absolutely. I think we've had yeah. a couple of these recently where uh you know, even in uh the night manager. Mm-hmm. A great example where someone had the position and authority to simply like close a department or shut off its budget but instead goes on a bunch of crazy like uh threats and bribes and and well i don't think the the mi6 didn't go out trying to kill anybody so this is even worse uh for sure but you're with me on that yeah absolutely and and i think with uh you know john voigt's character in um enemy of the state we we both identified the overreaction was way a bad form on on the department yeah now i guess it's important to remember that atwood's uh that what atwood's trying to cover up is not something he can tell his bosses why he wants to do it but it really does seem like he's got enough strings that he could pull to just uh i would say a good play would be again assuming that this is the only theory that turner is working on just pick one of his other theories and say, hey, you really got something there. Let's give you some extra funding, and I want you to focus entirely on that. And whatever that was would be oh, just, yeah. you know, a nothing assignments. That's a really good idea. Absolutely. As like a, yeah. Just like maybe one of his theories that don't mean anything. And just be like, Yo, you're really honest something. Here, let's, let's give you a, a promotion and a pay, you know. A little pay bump over here. Just focus on this for now on, <laughs> and set sure. him on a wild goose chase. That's a really good. That's a good point. I mean, it might be tricky, and it wouldn't just be as simple as going to his superiors and recommending they shut that department down, because then his superiors would say why, and his whole idea is like to not have his superiors find out what he's up to, right, or, or anyone. And that also is the justification for bringing in an outside uh, element in the form of Jobert. Uh, So, you know, he's, he's reaching outside the company pool uh, for talent, but still uh, we share uh, our number two worst tradecraft nominations for this film on uh, Atwood overreaction. Yeah, absolutely. I I think, I think uh, we both saw it was, in the every other movie that we've brought this up, it it really hurts team bad guy for their overreactions if they just did, you know, basic, you know, intel work or something. Mm-hmm. They they might actually be able to have uh, a better solution, and nobody knows what's going on. Versus like, hey, let's just start killing people off and putting pressure on people and let people know, hey, you're onto something. Why don't you keep looking where you were looking before? You know, <laughs> especially with that like American desperado ideal we have here in movies, like you know, one man is going to save his town type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Robert Redford is kind of like like an American treasure type of actor or a very beloved American actor. So you know, he's one man; his whole team's been killed, and they're trying to like threaten him. He's not going to go down without a fight, you know, quote, you know, so, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. You know, so they're basically poking the bear. I mean, it makes a good movie, but yeah, I, th- I think, I think you and I both key in on this multiple times in the spy films we've been watching that it's just like, why would you do that? If you're trying to cover this up, 
you know. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a story versus plot, the the epic struggle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now Turner, uh, you know, just by by luck uh, avoids getting himself shot along with everyone else um, because he was the one that was picked to go out to lunch. I guess they do this on a rotating basis. It sounded like, you know, cause his boss says it's your turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that Turner has this very bad habit of, uh, going out the back door, uh, when he goes out for lunch, when it's raining, because apparently he's figured out a route to the cafe that gets him less wet. Yeah. Right. Um, Saves him a half a block, I think is what the receptionist had said or something. Okay. But, uh, you know, again, you know, minus spy points for this for this agency, but it's it's consistent with the fact that these these are total bookworms. Like nobody's nobody's yeah. expecting an attack here. Nobody's expecting you know to find out one of the other librarians is a mole. You know, right. <laughs> and it kind of works out for them because team or the hit squad is watching the front. And so I guess they don't see him go out the back, which I guess minus spy points on the hit squad. Uh, and, and that's what kind of saves his life. But I guess minus spy points on the hit squad for not thinking about lunch. Right. Because, okay, because if they've done any kind of homework, which you know they have to have done some, they would right. know that someone goes out for lunch. One person from the office goes out for lunch at this time every day. Uh, and I think there's like eight or nine people in the office. So the fact they don't know that Turner goes out the back maybe just means that they haven't done, uh, that they've only been surveilling for less than a week. Otherwise, uh, they'd know that. But yeah, also like check check for back exits and kind of stuff would have made some plus spy points. But we really need this serendipity for the whole movie to work. Right. Yeah, 100%. exactly. 100%. <laughs> exactly. Now, they knew that Heidegger was, uh, which is one of his coworkers, they knew that guy wasn't in the office, but they just, I don't know, sent a side team to just whack him in his apartment. It looks like, you know, he was legitimately sick. Uh, and that's not anything that, like, uh, you know, is in- intricate to the plot uh, or anything like that. Um but they had counted Turner as being in the office and now they know he didn't go out the front. So when they're, when you're in the building, you know, and you're missing a person, what would their, what should their thinking be now? Oh, they probably were sick home or on vacation, which is how they got Heidegger. That's how they got Heidegger, but they saw Turner go into the building. Oh, 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 that's Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, uh, they they should have been like, oh, we missed. Well, they they did talk about that they missed one and they have to go get him. Uh, And this is the thing that bugged me the most about this. Turner's the one that figured out the plot. They literally cleaned out an entire room of people (laughs) who think he has this crazy idea and nobody, like, really agrees with him. And so they killed everybody but the guy who, who has this... Who has this like notion that there's like this plot somewhere in like the Middle East? I didn't even think of that. So yeah, uh, yeah minus 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 spy points for Atwood for uh, not telling Jobert like, okay, kill all these people, but this this one guy, this is the most important guy. Yeah, 
<laughs> and then you could follow that logic further to say, well, then why not just whack Redford alone at home right. or just arrange an accident <laughs> or a disappearance? Right. Big, big minus spy points there. Hadn't thought right. about that. But I had been thinking about, like, what should their next move be? Oh, no, but they did. They did plan on getting him at home. But remember, Turner calls uh, Langley, and uh-huh. they told him specifically, do not go home. And when he did try to go home, there were two guys waiting for them. Which, by the way, I wanted to give a little plus spy points on that. The neighbor tells Turner, hey, your friends are here. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, your two friends, they said that you gave them a key that they let themselves in and and whatever. And that clued him in on like, oh, that's why I shouldn't be here. So Team Hitman did plan on catching him at home. But but uh, because his neighbor was like kind of give him the heads up and he was already privy of like, I shouldn't be here anyway, didn't go in. And so he didn't get killed. So. Uh, they did plan on trying to do something a little bit uh, more strategic, but it just didn't work out. Yeah, sure. I still think, uh, you know, uh, really, really checking out the, the, the entire building before they left or leaving someone to surveil afterwards. Like, even if you assume, like, maybe he's hiding in here somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you leave, like, leave someone behind, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to watch the only entrance that you know of. Right. Which is what Redford kind of suspects when he sees baby carriage lady. But, uh, (laughs) and, you know, that's, you know, just the film giving us uh, a taste of, you know, the paranoia, like, oh my God, it could be anyone. What's going on? Um, But it, it, it can't, baby carriage lady can't be really on team bad guy because uh, there's no one following Turner. Right. You know, to the, to the phone booth and, and, and doing the stuffs. And and also like, you know, if Turner's in the habit of leaving through the back door, uh, just to you know, avoid a little rain, uh, I would think that like finding everyone dead in my office would be the perfect time to, to actually legitimately use the back door. Right. <laughs> so I'll throw out some minus five points on that one. Right. Uh, but he does, he gets, he gets to the phone booth and calls, I don't know. Uh, I think I, I called it the panic officer. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I think that's what they actually called him in the movie. This is kind of like the, their little internal nine one one, uh, who, who gives him instructions, you know, and, and is very clinical in his like, uh, asking of questions like, you know, what has happened? What's the damage? Are you damaged? Are you armed? Uh, his instruction is to call back in two hours. I think it might have made more sense to have him like come straight in. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what the procedures uh, would or should be in a case like this. They might now, have to assess the situation and to determine whether or not they believe him, right? They probably got to analyze for a little bit and then give him further instructions. Yeah, but if they're yeah, but if they're worried about like if they're worried about him being legit, like why give him two hours to play around with? And if right. they were worried about him being a target, why give him two hours on the street? Seems like movie stuff to me. But again, I don't I don't know what the what the real procedure would or should be. Oh, okay. uh, for sure, can only speculate. They're gonna send in some. You know, it's it's funny at this point in the movie, and maybe we should just 
lay this out a little bit. Like at this point in the movie, we have no idea who's on team bad guy. Right. Uh, and, and who's on team good guy. Uh, the CIA definitely seems fully conspiratorial because, you know, they send in some guys to clean up the office. Uh, they grab an envelope. They count the bodies. They report in. They note that there's one less person than they were expecting, mm-hmm. uh, which is not Turner because they know Turner's not there. Uh, but that's Heidegger. That, I think, kind of actually turns into a sort of a subtle clue that not everyone is like the conspiracy is not monolithic because if the, if the cleaners reported there's one, there's one guy missing one unaccounted for guy. If they were all on the same page on team bad guy, they could have just called Joe bear and said like, Hey, there's one missing. Right. Uh, But they don't, they seem a little confused by this. Uh, so that's maybe kind of a clue that not everyone is operating on the same page, which turns out to be the case. It's just Atwood that's the bad apple, and Jobert is like his uh, his his weapon of choice is heavy for this film. Um, the rest of the CIA is not villainous but bad. To make that distinction, I think that's like one of the main points of the movie too. Is well, I wouldn't say they're bad. They're just kind of cold, like much better word. Yeah, they're like a super utilitarian, utilitarian. You know what I mean? And especially with the big speech we get from Higgins at the end. I don't know if you want to go into that now, but yeah, no, I I think you're right in saying that they're they're not the villains, but they're definitely like they're they're not like the warm fuzzy hero, <laughs> right? Yeah, like yeah. they're they're literally just crunching the numbers and making they're, they're the machine, the machine, right? Yeah. You know, exactly. just, just like a lot of the, well, kind of like we could take it to the, to the Jason Bourne movies where we talked a lot about like how that movie really like the machine of international intelligence is just kind of its own kind of beast. And it just right. does what it's going to do. Does right. what it's going <laughs> to do. A lot of the people out there looking for Jason Bourne are just, they're just people doing their jobs and not asking questions. Right. You know, there's only a couple villains like kind of hidden in the core manipulating stuff. And and um, there's a lot of that in this. Very much even, so. I think that's what this movie is really at the end. I think that's what this movie is really about. Right. That there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have you's, you know. <laughs> um, I think it's not I think it's not the idea that the CIA is bad. I think it's the the idea that if some if if there were bad actors in the CIA, the CIA would not investigate itself and it would just close ranks and just try to tie everything off and, and just, you know, right. never, never mind the damage, just keep the secret, keep the secret and move on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> the, just the impersonalness of it. Like you said, the coldness of it. Right. Um, so, but, but like I said, like just the fact that this was a clue that, that maybe, you know, there's there's uh, different levels of information that uh, everyone that's against Robert Redford, um, you know, not all on the same page. When he's calling, he's calling a CIA office in the World Trade Center, which, by the way, 
is where the CIA office for New York was at the time, but that wasn't public knowledge. So might've just been a lucky guess on the part of the filmmakers. Uh, Maybe not a lucky guess. More like an informed guess. Uh Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there was talk about it and then it was either true or it wasn't right. And I guess it turned out to be true. He visits his home. There's two guys waiting for him there. Uh, I believe those are probably Jobert's men, not Higgins's men. But Higgins, even though they had given him instructions not to go home, I think they should have sent people to his house just in case. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't even think about that. That's like major minus spy points. If I was anybody in the CIA in charge of this, I, I would have been like, well, have people watch his house, see who's going to his house. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Either, for all either, sorts, of, for all sorts of reasons. All sorts of reasons. Either Turner has flipped and he's plotting something, or he's in danger. And either way, going to his house is a good idea, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Higgins just wants everything buttoned up, like we said, just like tie off the triage, tie off the the wound. Um. He sends his report to Langley. Remember, Higgins is the section. Uh, I don't know if you want to call him section. No, he's not a section chief. He's just like the general New York manager, something. Um, but he sends his report to Langley, specifically section 17, which is supposedly the section Redford's Turner character works for. I couldn't find a reference for any section 17. It might be just made up, but it sounds cool. <laughs> Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh wicks is the head of turner's section 17 when he gets this report about some of his people being killed in new york he choppers immediately to new york and kind of uh assists now uh it's it's been the two hours and uh robert redford is calling in and he gets connected to higgins which is not someone he's ever met. Um, this is just the the person the panic officer told him to call. And Wix is there along with an assistant. Wix is kind of uh, like not on the phone call with Turner and Higgins, but he's in there in the room with Higgins. Mm-hmm. Um Higgins uh, wants him to meet in a certain alleyway, something like it's, it gets a little messy here. Yeah. Turner is right. Like he says, like, I'm not going into any alley. You know what I mean? Like I, you never see this in spy films, like, especially like the big blockbuster summer what, like, you know, I, I brought this up in Mission Impossible and like there was other movies where they just get in the car. You know what I mean? And, it, and it's not only minus spy points, it's minus like self-defense points. You know what I mean? And I really liked that they had this in the film that Turner's like, fuck you. I'm not going into an alley. Like, 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 think about it in real life. If, if you're in a situation where a bunch of people were murdered and then you call and they're like, go meet me in an alley. Like, I'd be like, fuck you. You're going to meet me in the most populated place I can think of. Right. You know what I mean? We're going to get on a bus together, you know? Right. You're, you're yeah. going to ride three stops. You're going to get off, and you're going to look for a man in a, with a, 
with a balloon. You're going to meet on a bridge. You're going to meet at a, dare I say it, a fucking park bench. Right, exactly. We're, we're going somewhere public with a, fu- I'm not going in an alley behind a building in New York where people get stabbed and shot, you know? So I, I really liked Turner's response to this. And so there's kind of a stalemate and the film really played this out. And I, and I liked this whole interchange because, because it's a real interchange. It's like, I don't know Wicks. I don't care if he's my department head. I've never met the guy. I don't know him. And, and they're like, well, we got to help you. You know, you're in danger. He's like, well, I'm not going to an alley. And they're like, all right, well, what if we find someone, you know, and like, they're so well aware of everybody in the company. They're like, you know, Sam, you went to college with him. He's one of our guys. He knows Wicks. Would you trust Sam? He's like, wow, you people are really something, you know, like that's like the reoccurring theme in this film. Like as, as uh, Turner's learning, like how, <laughs> how much surveillance really is on everything. He's just like, wow, you people, you know, he says that like a hundred, but anyway, so I thought it was a good solution. I, I don't know that I still would be okay with going into an alley. But at least, like, yeah, I know Sam. Sam's a good guy, right? You know? Um, and especially since Turner isn't, like, privy to a lot of tradecraft, you know, because he's just a bookworm, quote, unquote. You know, he's like, all right, I know Sam. Sam's cool. I'll, I'll go meet with him. And and uh, they, they meet – I, well, actually, we, I think we both marked this as our number three best tradecraft. I'm not, I, do you want to talk about like what specifically you liked about it? I just like that they use someone to resolve the stalemate. We're going to send someone you know. It is very good tradecraft. Uh, and like even if there wasn't a conspiracy, even if they were playing straight with him, this is the good play. What I don't like is like if Higgins isn't in on the... Ex- on the conspiracy, like why he's even trying to arrange this alley meeting in the first place. Like he doesn't know that Wix is going there specifically to try to kill Turner. Right. And I don't even understand why Wix is involved in, is in the conspiracy. Oh, so that, okay. Remember when I was saying, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm on (laughs) solid ground here. Remember I was saying, (laughs) atwood is the villain and Mm -hmm. we talked about like okay like if you had chain of command you could just shut this down by just i don't know just shut the department down send everyone on vacation whatever uh tell them we don't care about that like or just stop caring about it like you know like what's redford gonna do you just keep sending him back things like yeah very interesting very interesting Keep it yeah, up. Yeah, we're, lo- we're looking into it. Yeah, keep we're, it. Yeah, keep it up. We're, we're on top of it. it. <laughs> <laughs> what about that other report you were working on? Do you have anything on that? Right. Um, <laughs> okay, but maybe the reason he can't do that is because Atwood's trying to keep his operation secret. But if, but if Wix is part of Atwood's conspiracy, as he clearly is, well, Wix does have the authority to do that kind of simple shit. Because Wix right. is the head of Turner's department, right? Um, so yeah, okay, yeah, we're we're in the clear. We're in the clear here, as in calling bullshit. Like, there's this is not the greatest. It does also seem odd that they can't find someone else in Turner's command chain. Like, 
if if he's never met his section chief, well, how, who has he met? Is the old guy, you know, at the literary society, like his only contact? Well, it seems like the old guy is like kind of the captain of section 17 or whatever you would call it. Like he's probably head of the station, right? So, but he might not have ever met Wicks. I, you know, I, I want to give the CIA in the 70s a lot of credit, and I would like to hope that there's a cutout between British dude at Section 17 and Wicks and Higgins and Atwood. You know what I mean? Like, I hope there isn't like a – I hope I – hope oh, Like old, a direct oh, line of, of chain of command yeah, of knowing right. exactly who your boss is, who your boss's boss is, and who that guy reports to, and then the president. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> Right. So, so my guess is just they—they they probably have some sort of cutout or you know a dead drop place or something to get the reports or whatever to uh, Langley. To no, get they just send them. They, remember, they just send them out in the mail. The mailman just shows up and picks them up and drops oh, them off. Oh, that's right. And then just drops off letters. That doesn't seem very safe. It doesn't seem safe at all. No. <laughs> Well, I guess to show you how, how how little they were worried about this bookworm department, um, who, who apparently cracked open all of the conspiracies. Um, <laughs> right, right, um, yeah. Uh, no, um, I mean, it, I it make I think Wix is the one that wanted to go, and it's probably because he had to clean house. He he's probably working with Atwood, you know, some way, and he Must probably be. knows. Must right. be has to be right. Oh, what I, okay. So also really like plus by points on Turner here. When he gets to the alley, he sees Sam. He's like, oh, Sam, it's you. Hi. But he doesn't run down the alley and give him a big hug. He's like, hey, where's the other guy? And of course, the other guy kicks down a bunch of trash cans and starts shooting like a fucking idiot. Uh, and then and then Turner pulls out his gun that he has and he shoots back at him, hits him in the leg and then takes off. So that whole thing was weird. I mean, I wouldn't say weird i would say worst i would say worst number one this is an absolute crop crock of crap minus five points big time yeah like the whole idea was to build in build trust all wix needs to do right here is just step forward and say hey guy let's go home let's talk right you're safe you're safe now and and there's nothing to there's no reason for turner to have turned down that offer that's what he's here right. for. That's, they, what, that's he exactly wants. what they discussed on the phone. We're going to bring a guy, you know, he's going to vouch for Wix and you're going to come home. They said, you know, I love that you brought up. Oh, just come home. They said that to him like 20 times on the phone. We'll take you home. Don't worry. We'll get you home. We'll get you home. You know, you're right. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. And then once you have him in your clutches, like you, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry. He fell off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <You> know. <laughs> and then even after Wix is wounded, I think killing Sam Barber seemed like just creating an additional problem. Oh, um yeah. e- even after like cause Sam's freaked out, like why did why did you shoot at my friend? Why did he shoot back at you? Like Sam could have a lot of questions at this point, but silencing him with a bullet to the throat, um, doesn't doesn't seem like the 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 clean good move, right? Um, 
you could you could resolve a lot of this with just storytelling, you know, taking people in. Oh, you and, know why? Yeah, because they, they would have after the gunfight. Remember, Wicks was taken into the hospital. They would have taken Sam in and interrogated him. Remember, Wicks is working for Team Bad Guy, not for Team CIA. So Team CIA, as we were shown in the show, would have done their job. They would have interrogated Sam and Wicks, and Sam would have been like, "Yeah, Wicks took me to the alley, and then." Wicks started shooting at Turner and then Turner shot back. And I don't know what the fuck's going on. I was just here to see my buddy, you know? And and then team CIA would have been like, Oh, well, that's interesting. Wicks. Why did you shoot? You know, now we have a whole thing versus Wicks could be like, Oh yeah, there was a whole thing. He shot at me and then shot blah, blah, blah. And what, you know, that's why he had to shoot him. Okay. Okay. No, you, you make a good point, but We'll stick with the the idea that shooting at Turner was like incredibly stupid. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's you're definitely right to pick it as a worst number one tradecraft. <laughs> um, now I'm not sure, but well, no, I am sure what I would be doing right now in Turner's position. I'm not sure it's the right thing, but right now I would be running for cops. I would I would just be like police, police, police. That would be my instinct. I'm not saying it would be a good idea, but I'm oh. <laughs> pretty sure in this situation, after the alley scene, that's what I would have done. Instead, his next move is going to be to kidnap Kathy Hale. Uh-huh. But before we go into that, I wanted to uh, keep following uh, Team Bad Guys uh, uh, plays and, and how they're proceeding after the alley scene. Uh-huh. We're going to see Higgins take a helicopter flight to... The movie doesn't tell us exactly, but I presume it's Langley. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I did not know this before, uh, you know, because I know Langley's in Virginia. I know Washington, D.C. is on the coast. I'm not super familiar with the geography there. But uh, I did find out that Langley is just 20 minutes drive from the capital. Oh, well, I don't know if you've ever been on the East Coast. I mean, like... You and I, you and I grew up like on the West, you know, I mean, I've been living in California my whole life, but you were like in what, Washington for a little bit and Northern California. Oh yeah. I five is my universe pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, On the West, the States is so big getting anywhere. It takes forever. But I mean, I remember going to like a, like birth of America trip with my mom and my grandma and my sister. And like, you could drive to every state in like 20 minutes like, you know, they say you could get anywhere in L.A. in 20 minutes. Like, you get to any state in New England. Like, it's <laughs> right. <laughs> like it was a tra- – I, I think our record, we passed through three states in an hour or something. Um, yeah, it was – yeah. So uh, – but that makes sense because Langley is supposed to be, like, our international defense, right? And then Washington, D.C. being the capital. I w- I'd like to hope they were close. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like – I mean, I was thinking it's close enough – for like good communication, I mean, a twenty-minute drive—that's not that bad. It's close enough, but it's also far enough away that, like, if the capital were attacked, like, like you couldn't attack like just the capital and get like the capital, the Pentagon, and Langley <laughs> like all in one strike. Oh no, no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're far enough, but they're close enough is what you're talking about. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what yeah, I yeah. think. Absolutely. But uh, he's going to take a helicopter to, again, I'm just presuming it's Langley. Uh, you know, it's got, it's got trees that look uh, kind of uh, 
Virginia-ish. Uh, not that I've ever been there. But uh, wherever it is, it's uh, it's this weird front of like five continents imports incorporated that only once you get inside uh, do you find out that there's some United States Marines uh, as guards. Uh-huh. Um, and then within there, there's like a, a boardroom, like it's a front, you know, like it, it looks like a warehouse, but like once you go through the the thing, then like suddenly you're in this like elaborate, like Tinker Tailor soldier spy kind of uh, uh, Laughlin group kind of boardroom. Right. Um, I don't understand. By the way, that. I was super jealous of the ashtray. As soon as Higgins walked in the door, he just puts out a cigarette. Like, there's just an ashtray sitting there because people just smoke in the 70s. You know what I mean? And he's just like, yeah, let me put this out real quick. Uh, yeah. He's like, yeah. I was no. jealous. No, back in the 70s, you were required to smoke. It's like on the job requirements. Uh, now, in that meeting, uh, which uh, Atwood is i think present it's it's not noted in my notes but i think he is um, i'm not sure why he would be but uh this is where we're gonna meet uh Wab- wabash wabash i'm not mm-hmm. sure how to pronounce it um this is this is played by i'm gonna go off again and and make myself some more editing trouble john houseman is is the old guy. You know the guy I'm talking about? There's a lot of old He's, guys. You're talking about the old British guy at the headquarters? Yeah, with the bow tie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually thought he was Atwood. That was really confusing. I had to completely review all my notes the entire time through my first two passes through the movie. I thought that was Atwood. I had them confused. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. He, he keys in, you know, they're asking questions about the alley scene. Uh, they're questioning Turner's loyalty because Wicks apparently claimed that Turner shot both him and Sam Barber, right. which is, which is good. Obviously that's the story you're going to tell. Uh, it's not even worth plus five points. It's so obvious. Um, <laughs> but Wabash keys in on the fact, cause he's asking questions about Turner's training and accuracy with the handgun and kind of like, I don't know, uh, showcasing a little bit of forensics uh, knowledge about like exactly like, cause he was shot like just an inch above the bulletproof vest. Mm-hmm. Um, and did Turner have that kind of skills? Uh, when I thought Wabash was Atwood, like I was going nuts on how good his werewolf game was because <laughs> He's basically laying out the case that, like, none of this story makes any sense. So, obviously, Turner is an enemy agent. Right. That we didn't know that he, like, has these, like, mad handgun skills or something. Um, which, yeah, I was it would have been my number one worst until I realized that Wabash and Atwood are not one and the same. And so... Wabash is his conclusions here are actually going to give him some minus five points. He's barking up the wrong tree, but it's not looking good for Turner. I mean, uh, you know, like the head hunches of the CIA are leaning toward the idea that Turner is a problem that needs to be taken care of or silenced instead of uh, a friendly force that needs to be brought in and, you know, big hugs and cuddles. Uh It's around this time 
Jobert lands in Washington. Now, this is really clear because we see him literally walking out of the airport and having a conversation with someone that I haven't exactly identified and I am a little bit curious about. Are you, do you have an exact idea or read on who this person is? No. Okay. <laughs> it is a great conversation. And I think uh, I, I went through, I analyzed it as best I could. Um, but uh, what we're going to do, I'll, I'll give you the inferences that I get from this. He's, he's walking and talking with another older gentleman and he's the older gentleman is giving him like a new contract, like paying him for a new job, which we don't know what it is. Eventually, I think my theory is that it's supposed to be, you got to take out Atwood. He's become a problem. I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, so maybe it's the person at the top of the, the conspiracy chain. Like someone above Atwood? Maybe. Like, do we think Atwood's on top? I don't know. Or do you think, or do you think someone figured out that Atwood was doing some shady shit and they needed to get him out, and that changes the contract? I think that's a good theory because it doesn't really get explained why Joe Baird changed all of a sudden at the end. Other than like we get a little bit of a speech, "Hey, I like you." It's just business. Don't don't worry about it. But like we don't really get like so. I think that's a good theory. Right. I mean, at the end, he is going to basically say that someone had decided Atwood was a problem and needed to be taken care of. Uh, at this point, we don't know who that someone is. Uh, and this is our only clue, or this is the only time when it could make sense because he is getting offered like a new job. And there mm -hmm. is no other job that he does Ex that isn't explained other than Atwood. Um, right. So it might be a little weird timing thing, but um, he's getting paid for that unspecified assignment. And which also of course includes Condor. Like, uh, you know, he says like, you know, I still owe, I still owe you Condor. I've already been paid for that. Um, so that's, that's already um, free. He also, Jobert wants to talk through uh, with this guy, like what they know about what happened with Wicks in the alley. It's clear at this point, Jobert is, has been sold the same story, uh, the same false story that Condor killed Barber and wounded Wicks. Like that's his understanding of the situation. So again, we have this nice, which is one of the things I like about the movie, like this nice disconnect between the bad guys are not all on the same side necessarily but uh he makes an insinuation that wicks has always been entirely predictable and that uh this guy turner might be a lot less so and he says he's gonna throw in on a throw in a hit on wicks for free not exactly sure why but again it looks like at this point they're they're gonna they're gonna shut down atwood and maybe like a final scene I don't know. I don't know how you would have put it in the movie, but I mean, maybe it's Wabash that, no, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Like who decided to like turn on Atwood and when and why? Yeah. Uh, so we're just left with questions, which I guess, you know, isn't an entirely bad thing for a movie to leave me with questions, but uh, questions they are. 
Last thing I got to say about this conversation, throw out some quick plus buy points for the fact that they, he, uh, uh, Jobert just like smoothly like switches to French, uh, for just a couple sentences, just as like, oh, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. It's like English, 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 English. Oh, here comes some people. French, French, French. Okay, they're gone. English, English, English. Right. Um, yeah. Men, that's that's my team bad guy stuff. Uh, where would you go? I want to I want to turn now to uh, back get back into Turner's head and his situation and and introduce the Kathy Hale situation. But before we go and dissect the decision he makes to abduct basically a random woman off the street. Mm-hmm. And and turn her place into like a kind of a temporary safe house, uh, and you know I wrote this in my notes. Now I'm thinking like maybe there's reasons you wouldn't want to say this on the air, but I wanted to ask you the question: What would you? What do you think you would do in Turner's situation at this point in the movie? Uh, well, I understand what he was doing. Because he thought he someone with two guys showing up at his pad, he's probably in a panic, right? So he's like running, and he doesn't know where to go. So he finds a place that doesn't have like it has one way in and one way out. So I thought that was clever, but I don't know that I would go to like a mom and pop shop. Like you, you don't want to go to like anybody's house, right? Like any friends or family, right? Because you're just gonna like lead people there, right? Um, unless you think you could, you know, break the tail. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think it was kind of clever that he picked a small shop because the, even if there is a back exit, it's not easily accessible. And from where he is in that little clothing shop that he's in a ski shop, whatever he's in, he, he can, he like, he stands behind that clothing rack and just watches so he can see who's coming in and who's going out. Right, right, right. right. I didn't mean necessarily like well, like you said, like you you wouldn't necessarily run to your mom's house because yeah, you, yeah, you're gonna put I'm her not, in danger. Fuck that, right? I'm not going to my mom's house. I might think of like some sketch peeps that I might know of, or at least go find some that I don't know. You know that might be able to help me out, right? Um, but you know, I'd have to break a tail for that. So going to some place that you don't go to regularly is probably a good idea. I just don't know that I would pick a ski clothing shop myself. You know what well, I mean? Well, de- but you you definitely wouldn't choose the route of abducting a random woman and hiding out at her house? Uh, that, def- that definitely wouldn't be on the top of my list. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be on the top of my list either. So if that's where you're going, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Kidnapping somebody would not be on the top of my list. Um, I do think Turner might be married. Or at least was. He is wearing a wedding ring in this movie. Uh, See, that was weird because the Asian chick at the beginning, I forgot her character's name because we see her for like, what, a minute? Uh-huh. Um, but uh, it, it was obvious they had a relationship. And when, I guess when he was asleep later with uh, Kathy, he's she's like, who's blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, she was a friend. Is that his wife or was that just like a girlfriend and his ring was like an ex-wife? Hmm. I don't think in their interaction, I don't think they looked like they were married, but if they were, that would solve a lot of problems for me 
because then that would <laughs> right. yeah. definitely cut off like his access or, or like, will he be missed by anyone? You know, oh, like who, yeah. does he does he not have friends or family? Like, well, obviously Sam is his friend because when he goes to visit the wife, she's like, "Oh, you're early." So they they've and she kisses him. So they have obviously been. I mean, him and Sam we know are good friends, but the wife knows him, right? Right, and they planned. They apparently had previously planned to have dinner together. And who was oh, the no, fourth? No. They didn't. Uh, uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you caught this, Turner. Had no idea about this plan. They were, she said, someone at the office contacted me. So team bad guy hit up Sam's wife, telling him, oh, there's going to be dinner because they predicted. So I think it was Joe Bear that did that because Joe Bear predicted he probably is going to go to Sam's house because Sam was killed. Because remember, early in the movie, he asked me, tell me about Sam. Were they close friends? Mm -hmm. That was in the airport conversation. Yeah. Right. I think Joe Bear is the one that contacted Sam's wife. Because cause when Turner gets there, she's like, oh, you're early. He's like, the fuck you talking about? Like, she has no idea Sam's dead. Like, you know, and she's like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, blah, 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 and yada, yada, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and right, like, but she was, also, she was also expecting, I thought she was expecting Turner and Asian chick. She used uh, her name. The Asian oh, name. well then that's even, that's even more. There were four, there were four places at the table. Right. So, oh, so then I guess they are a long-term relationship. I mean, I don't, I don't know that they were married though, but yeah, that's it. Maybe but they at were least, engaged. At least dating. And that's, that's what makes sense to me. Like if they were married, like then that or would at make least engaged. Right. Right. Well, it's a wedding ring he's wearing, not an engagement. Uh, well, well, I don't know. Do guys wear, what are guys generally wear when they're not. engaged? They don't really wear anything. Oh, like, no. I don't well, know. Turner's definitely be... got a wedding ring on. Right. <laughs> I know that. Right. So who who's his wife? Who's his friends? Why isn't anyone like worried about him? Uh, blah, 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 kind of thing. But instead, he's going to go after Kathy Hale, which, as yeah. we mentioned before, it's going to get uh, Creeper in here. Um, I really thought he could have been working harder and earlier to reassure her, you know, like, uh, look, I'm, I'm not a robber. I'm not a rapist. I work for the government, just some kind of stuff like, like early, just tried harder to put her at ease. Well, he was also in a panic himself, but yeah, That's you're true. Right. I guess he, I could have, he could have, I guess, but he said he doesn't even know if he believes his own story. <laughs> I think it was the line he gave. <laughs> Well, yeah, when he's explaining his job to her, he pauses and says, who would make up a job like that? Right. Which is just, right. uh, just weird. Once he's got uh, Kathy safely to her house, um, I mean, he kind of uh, throws this weird uh, proof of concept at her that his he's got a business card for Tentrex. Which, if you look in the phone book, uh, ha- you find that phone number. And then if you look up the CIA, they're both the same phone number. Um, which is kind of cute. Some people complain about that online. but, but I definitely I- would complain about that. <laughs> yeah? Okay. It's, it's cute, but I, I, I definitely would complain about it. Um, we don't have a, a, we don't have a park bench scene. 
in this movie per se, but uh, some of her photographs show park benches. I wanted that's in my notes. The first <laughs> photo he sees is a park bench. And I was like, park bench. No, yeah, that made me happy. <laughs> we're even we're even gonna revisit the, the photos. I'm jumping ahead a little, but during the extremely odd sex scene, I thought. Uh we're gonna see flashes of a photograph. <laughs> we're fantasizing about park benches while we're having sex. That was such a creeper moment. I was not sold. Look, I understand the the general fantasy, the kidnap, you know, hostage type fantasy. Okay, right? I know that's a thing, but I was not sold that that character wanted to have sex, especially with that whole conversation with her boyfriend that she's been having trouble with. You know, it seemed like they just shoehorned a bunch of random shit to try and explain it, but it didn't, like, fit right. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's obviously she has a troubled relationship with boyfriend, right? And this was like a vacation get-together because she's been, like, flaking. And if she's flaking, either she's a flaker-type person or, like, the the flame is burning out, you know? And, and so that's kind of like his pitch to her. It was really creepy. And it was kind of rapey. Like, it didn't seem like she was actually consenting. And then after he unties her, I mean, like consent out the window when he like takes her hostage. But (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, like, like when he unties her and then like, I'm just not sold. Like, I, I, yeah. Anyway, we're here to talk about tradecraft. Well, you know, you know, you know who was sold? Faye fucking Dunaway. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But I agree. I agree. Character wise, I, I, I didn't buy it. It seemed totally unnecessary. And also I thought that was an extremely odd sex scene. He's not yeah. moving at all. And like we repeatedly just see her like have these reactions like like almost like she's waking up, like saying like, Holy shit, I'm having sex with Robert Redford. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then it's interspersed with pictures of her park bench photos. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Moving on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if if you're listening right now, you have not seen this movie. Just at least watch it for the sex scene because it fucking makes no sense. I would like, say don't watch it so. for the sex scene because I thought it was one of the most uncomfortable sex scenes I've ever seen, and I just I just. I just kind of don't like sex scenes in general. Right? Me either. Yeah, I, a lot of yeah. Times, yeah. I kind of, I kind of just eh, blur them out. I'm just not that interested. Just kind of, kind of convey that. I, I'd rather just see like you guys kissing, kind of go in the bedroom, close the door, and then you know just wake up cuddling. Cut to wake okay. up cuddling. I'm cool with that. Okay, they fucked. All right, all right, right. All right. I, I got it. I okay. got it. I didn't need yeah. to see it. And I especially didn't need to see it as weirdly acted as, as this was. Dude, he's not moving. He's not moving at all. No, no. And, and she's, then the, and the she's going nuts. Is, yeah, yeah. Getting, getting back to the trade craft. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, when he sees the, the report on the news of how it's been portrayed, uh, that kind of clicks in on him that, like, okay, well, Sam would have told May that he was called 
that he was called in, you know, to do something. Uh, he, he calls her up. He doesn't uh, respond. Like, she's like, hey, Sam, Sam, what's up? Uh, you know, it's one of those, I call the phone and just listen to you for a second and then hang up kind of thing. Don't say anything. And that's also going to be a key uh, clue when he does get to her apartment that she's like, uh, gets another call where the person on the line isn't saying anything. And she's like, that's the third time today, which if he wasn't already triggered, he's triggered now. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, he wants May to hide upstairs, like go upstairs to some other couple's apartment that, that they know and are friendly with or whatever. Um, he's telling her that as like Jobert happens to be here. It's one of those like coincidence, like people, like, uh, I complained about this a lot in, um, tomorrow never dies where, uh, Brosnan and, um, What's her name? Just kept showing up at the same place at the exact same time. This is wow. one of those. Uh, but Jobert just happens to be in the elevator exiting as he's pushing May in and telling her where to hide. What Jobert does, like he he leaves the elevator, and then as Robert Redford gets into the elevator, Jobert also rejoins the elevator, which is extremely odd behavior. Right. And I would say minus spy points unless he's trying to like really like I don't know, do a fucking full on like head game with uh-huh. Turner on like, you know, uh like letting him know I'm the guy. Right. Uh, just it just seem it just seems like very bad tradecraft. Like wait for the next elevator, Chaubert. Uh you know, nobody nobody gets out of an elevator and then waits for you to get in and then gets in behind you. That no, just doesn't happen. Absolutely. But uh, he doesn't have a plan to kill him in the elevator. He has a plan to snipe him off the street. So I think he's like tailing him. You know what I mean? And sure. And but, but Turner picks up on the weird behavior. It seems like, right. But you, but you, yeah, right. But you agree. It is weird behavior and better hitman play would, be to wait for the next elevator. I, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, I thought you were saying like he should have got him in the elevator or should have. Oh no 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 no! I'm just saying like it it is extremely odd. Like, have you ever seen? You know, you're waiting for no. an elevator. Someone gets out. Creepy. You get in, yeah. and then the person that just got out of the elevator gets in with you. Fuck that. Yeah, that's weird <laughs> as fuck. Right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and like you say, like, uh, uh, well, Jobert's going to, uh, well, after a little bit of after you, know you first kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. Exits the building. Turner is obviously knows this guy, which is why I'm giving Jobert minus five points, because he just totally fucking showed his hand. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know. I felt, I felt exactly the same way. You know what I mean? I, I completely felt the same way about that. Um, but uh, so knowing that Jobert is out there or strongly suspecting, um, Turner improvises his escape uh, a little unethically, maybe, <laughs> but whatever. You got to do what you got to do. There's these kind of like urban hippie types yeah. that uh, he uses as, as cover. Um, from here, 
uh, in the movie, like we never talk about May again. Turner seems to forget all about her. Uh, you know, he said he was going to call her. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, also, Joe Bear uh, has the information about where she went. He doesn't follow through on that. Uh, but maybe he doesn't care about that. Um, he gets some little plus spy points for nabbing the plate number of Hale's. I'm sorry, Hale's car. Why did I say? Oh, right, Kathy. because right, because at Her this point, show. right at this point, uh, Turner is driving around in the most conspicuous fucking car <laughs> that I've ever seen. <laughs> In a spy movie, like you see it, it's a big like orange Bronco or something. Like, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow! If you're rolling the dice, trying to trying to roll, hope that the lady you kidnapped just got an inconspicuous car. You just rolled a fucking natural one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Critical fail. But uh, that's the that that plate number presumably is what. Uh, is going to because you know it's a car registered to her and she's got a gas bill and she's you know she's on the grid and everything so that's where it's going to be possible for them to trace Turner at his uh, Hale's house or Hale's apartment hideout yeah <laughs> All right and and that's and that's going to lead us to uh, the mailman attack. Um, There's a few things that we should really talk about for the mailman attack. Can I, um, can I, can I throw this out first though? Uh-huh. Um, in the morning after the sex scene, it's when he's working overtime, trying to put the puzzle pieces together, trying to figure out what's going on. He's doing a lot of drawings, a lot of names, a lot of circles, mm-hmm. a lot of arrows kind uh-huh. of stuff. He's doing analyst stuff. Yeah. And and we're going to see him work through a lot of flashbacks. The one the movie wants us to focus on here is that like uh uh that uh it was reported back to him that HQ at Langley said there's nothing to support your theory about this novel that's only been published in these three countries and that uh and that that information was forwarded to Langley and that Wicks was um part of that process like that like wix's signature is on the hey this this doesn't make any sense we don't care about this which the movie is trying to sell us as a big clue but i don't buy it because wix is turner's section chief all of his shit would have normally gone across that guy's desk I think he, because he never actually met Wix, and he still doesn't know if Wix is actually his department head, right? That's true. Oh, yeah, he doesn't know that. Right. Even though that's who he was told is coming to the alley, he still doesn't really know that, right? Then... um, I mean, it was someone that took a shot at me. Right. Some guy that I thought was supposed to be Wix takes a shot at me, right? But so now with that letter, he's confirmed that Wix is the department head. And I don't know if that's his name or his code name or whatever. But uh, the other thing is, is Wix is note saying, hey, this is bullshit. Kind of alerts him to saying Wix is in on some bigger conspiracy. Right. 
because and then later he finds out Wicks was killed. Right. I think it was on the news, right? They didn't use any names in the news reports. Oh, I, you're right that it was kind of like, oh, yeah, but I think it was like, oh, yeah, that's how I kind of read it. But I, I might have also been like, man, whatever. It was just weird. Uh, and I, I think you're right to point it out is like, why is this a big deal? But I, I think it's because, uh, one, he now has confirmed that Wix is the department head and that Wix is probably in on the conspiracy, that there's a, another conspiracy. They're trying to cover up this Middle East idea. Yeah, I just don't buy it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even though it's clear, like, that's what the the movie is trying to tell us is happening. Like, right. like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Like you're, I don't know, your, your boss's signature on some shit that you wrote, like, that's just what it is. You know, yeah. that's normal channels. Right. Um, it, yeah. It's, it's, it, it doesn't add up to a clue in my opinion. Let's do mailman because that is going to give us some actual actionable clues kind of stuff. Yeah. You already, I mean, you already complained about the, the, the combat scene. Yeah, no, the fight scene, it was like, this is a professionally trained killer and experienced killer, and it's one-on-one, and, um, you know, uh, I I guess Redford Turner is just so super smart, he can solve the problem against, like, a submachine gun. I don't know. Uh, Number one, I wanted to give, like, some minor spy points. I think this might have been my number three worst tradecraft. Or do you want to discuss the play? That the mailman does first. Let's let's do that. The mailman rings the doorbell. I think right? we like the way he gets into the house. Absolutely. But I, I want to point something out. So I, I guess let's walk step by step. There, there's a ring at the door, right? And the guy keeps ringing and keeps ringing. And the guy can see through the window that Robert Redford's there. So I guess minus spy points for not covering the windows. I don't know, but he could see in and be like, there's a guy, and he's like, yo, Kathy's not here. He's like, well, somebody has to sign for it. And, you know, it's like, a lot of times the mail, they could just leave notes, like, come pick it up later. Just be like, you know. So I'm kind of like, if he on Turner actually answering the door, and if that was a good idea, um, and then, but, like you had said, we love the way Mailman gets in. You have to sign. The pen doesn't work. He's like, oh, these government pens. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I like yeah. that. He's like, I need a pen. Uh, as Turner, uh, which Turner was kind of weary, but I would have not let that guy through the door. And if a mailman just walks in and closes the door, even before the weird shoe thingy, you know, or whatever, I, I, I would have been like, dude, stay. No, no, you can stay outside, bro. I'll go grab a pen. You stay right here. Or I would have closed the door. Mm-hmm. Hang on. Let me let me go grab a pen and then close the door. So that's kind of why it made my number three worst tradecraft. But like you said, we, we definitely love how the mailman got in. And he turns his back to him. He triggers on the shoes, which I didn't, I didn't understand. Did you have a better read on that? Like... Uh, just the fact the guy had scuffed up brown shoes, like, boom, I'm going to throw coffee on you. You're a bad guy. I, I have no idea. Okay, I don't yeah. remember any other time that he saw someone with those shoes. Me neither. Like, unless it's outside of the post office 
postal workers uniform. I know postal workers have very strict uniforms, right? Right. And okay. So I thought about this a little, like how did he get the uniform? Like, I don't know. Did he like kill a mailman? (laughs) 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 Which, which seems overly complicated. Hopefully you can, you can find a easier way to get a hold of a mailman's uniform. But let's say like, given the kind of stupid theory that he like went out and killed a mailman to steal his (laughs) uniform. Like it would be easier to find a uniform that, kind of sort of fits you than to necessarily find a pair of uh, like a mailman with your exact size of shoe. Right. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I don't, I don't know what the shoes were. Um, And the mailman also like uh, totally went in without backup and I'm throwing minus five points on that. Right. Um, Well, if you're trying to do a clean kill, right. Don't most hitmen work solo. Well, Jobert's team didn't work solo when they, you know, went into clean house in the first place. Yeah, but they were wiping out like nine, ten people, right? Yeah. Versus, like, this is one guy we got to get, maybe two. Dude, you gotta but have yet- one. You gotta have one guy on the street. Come on. Well, that's true. Yeah. Oh, oh, like a like a lookout. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. If if your guy doesn't come back out in ten minutes, you know, that means something. Right, yeah, something happened. Yeah, you know, I don't. Oh, uh, good, good point. Very I good don't point. like it when they go in solo. <laughs> uh, and you're always harping on teams. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. for the, yeah, you're absolutely. Somebody should have been watching something, right? <laughs> now, what this does, though, like, uh, you know, if we skip ahead and 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 accept that Turner can overcome the uh, presumably much better fighter mr mailman uh it's uh it's again it's one of those situations where you just handed me a clue into my lap and if you just left me alone i wouldn't have had this clue fuck you the mail (laughs) the mailman's got a hotel key and some of the information on the key matches some shit that he's also got like a folded piece of paper that is written on five continents importing incorporated stationery Minus spy points. Right. Right. He's got his <laughs> yeah. phone number written on that shit. Like fucking memorize that shit. Or write right. it down on a on a well, we didn't have post-its back then, but you know what I'm saying. Or leave it at the hotel. Yeah. You're you're coming to kill somebody, you're gonna leave evidence? Yeah. Man, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have any real identification whatsoever. Like it would either be fabricated or I would have nothing. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> that makes my number three worst tradecraft of the film is him just walking, like walking into this hit with with the phone number of of his boss written down right. in his fucking pocket. <laughs> now, fuck you, yeah. fuck you, fuck you, mailman. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. There's going to be a later phone call that that kind of explains a little something where because Wix is getting killed around the same time that the mailman goes in for the kill on Turner. Mm-hmm. And that phone call is going to strongly suggest that Jobert did Wix and sent his flunky mailman after Turner because, uh, quote unquote, like Wix was uh, like a more complicated package. 
I will give plus five points to this for Jobert. I do think that uh, killing a CIA section chief in a crowded New York hospital and trying to make it look like an accident is indeed the more difficult hit. You know, like if you got to kill Wicks and Turner, uh-huh. like, like, and, and you're the boss and you have your side guy, like which one do you take care of personally and which one do you send your side guy out? Oh, right. It would have been easy. Oh, that's a really good point. It would have been easier for like new dude to take out the guy in the hospital and then the, the, the master pro to take out the, the biggest liability. Well, actually I read it. I actually read it the exact opposite of what you just said, (laughs) but I, I think, I think the crowded New York hospital killing a CIA section chief who might have security around them, like it should be a much more difficult job than uh, going out to some random apartment in New York and killing a bookworm. Right. So that's why I gave it, I gave it plus five points. And actually I called it uh, my number two best uh, was, was just the explanation of why Jobert wasn't available to do the job on Turner which I presume he would have done a much better job of, uh-huh. never minding his fuck up of getting in and out of the elevator kind of stuff. Right. No, I get what you're saying. Oh, uh, okay. Because uh, a higher up with the hospital is probably going to be harder to get into versus this road into and out of. Right. Right. No, it makes And makes also sense. making it kind of look like an accident, like his life support just. Right. Just gave out. Yeah. Yeah, the the uh, worst number three minus uh, like the mailman hotel key like that kind of stuff. Um, so so now Turner's got some. Well, what does he have right now? He's got an extension. He figures out that it's Washington. He uh-huh. fig- he's got a phone number. He's got a phone number that take that uh, if he follows through. Directly leads him to, I guess, Wicks' to- office. The the extension took him to Wicks, and he asked, "Can I talk to Wicks?" And they're like, "He's not available." So how does he ever make the connection to get to Atwood from that? Oh, Atwood. Um, uh, was that on the paper? Oh, he right. Oh, oh, he, yeah. He, no, this is gonna. He's gonna do some crazy cool shit to to connect uh, Wicks to Atwood. He's going to do some crazy cool shit. Yeah. That, that's uh, so, when he likes... This is from sneaking in a CIA, right? Yeah. So take it from Turner's play. Uh-huh. Because you got some... It looks like you got some shit to say about this. I, I have quite a bit of shit to say about this. Um, the, the phone number and extension leads them to Higgins, right? Or leads them to Wix's phone. However... Uh-huh. Wix is in like uh, disposed of at the moment, and um, so the only person he's really talked to is Higgins, but he's never met Higgins, and so he is going to just draw. He he needs to get in contact with him. Higgins knows what in a safe presum- in a safe way, right? In a safe way, Higgins presumably knows what Turner looks like. Turner doesn't know what Higgins looks like, so. What he what what Turner does is 
asks for uh, Haley's or Kathy's uh, help, and she is going to go in, I, I guess, for a job interview. Kind of looks uh, like. Yeah, she, or that's what she says later. I didn't get the job. She gets a visitor pass and then knocks on Higgins's door and then says, hi, uh, Addison. He's like, no, you skipped one. Uh, uh, he's to the left. The, the point of that was for her, and this is why I think the movie's trying to tell us she's got a photographic memory. She sees him and then later is able to signal to uh, – Turner, that's the guy. And then she follows him into a cafe where she starts questioning him. That's that's the that's kind of the play, right? The first thing I want to say is, holy shit, that's my number one best tradecraft. Was like I, I like in, in spy films where they figure out how to get the machine to them. And this is one of those moments. Um, so he's not going into Langley or CIA in Washington, wherever they are himself. He's sending in someone that they've never met. And, um, she's going to try and like find out what Higgins looks like. And by doing that, she could signal to, um, Turner, that's the guy. And then she follows him to lunch or whatever mm-hmm. and starts playing at him. So that made my number one best tradecraft was this whole plan of like drawing in the right guy. But it also made my number one worst tradecraft because I, I want to believe that you can't just walk into the CIA the same day for a job application. And I want to believe Higgins's office is not anywhere near the person giving interviews. I, I want to believe that if I'm, first of all, if I'm even selected for an interview, I, I want to know that that office is fucking in Timbuktu somewhere. Right. <laughs> right? Like, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like number one and number two, even if I'm going into Langley for an interview, like, I, I, I promise you, I do not want anyone near those people's offices. So Higginson's office should have never been near that. Now, I can yeah, it's, a a little... mis- it's a mystery to me how she found his office. Totally. Right? Right? Exactly. Uh, but I, I do want to cut a little bit of slack because presumably uh, Turner, you know, he's CIA, so he's gone through the farm. He's been to Langley, I guess, right? He's well, gotta know is, remember, remember again, this is not Langley. This is the CIA, CIA local office in New York. Okay, so it's the uh, World Trade in Center. In the World right? Trade Center, yeah. Okay, well, I guess it'd be easier to find because they have like one p- f- floor, right? So it's not, but still. Well, they have two the, buildings. Put the applicants in building A and yeah, put my right. secret CIA, CIA <laughs> office in building B. Right. Especially if you're in charge of New York. If you're the station head of New York City or New York State for the CIA, like, I don't want people to be able to stumble. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, because her story is believable. Oh, are you Addison? You know, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. says Higgins on my door, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, whatever. Whatever. That's my gripe. So that's my number one best tradecraft and my number one worst tradecraft for for a lot. I, I feel like I've made my case pretty well on this. Yeah. Like, 
Overall, overall, I thought abducting Higgins and getting him uh, separated and, and alone was kind of laughably easy. Uh, overall, uh, didn't didn't like it as far as logic points minus spy points, you know. But it's fine for the story. Right. Um, and this is where this is where we this is where as an audience, if you're experiencing the movie for the first time, this is where you really first get the the true idea that Higgins isn't a core part of the conspiracy. He's just part of the machine. Right. You know, and, but he does give some information about Jobert, uh, because I don't, I don't know, like, uh, Turner is able to describe him, uh, to a convincing level of detail, at least in the movie, you know, tall, blonde, Farmer's build, probably from Alsace accent kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, after this conversation, when when they split, like, I just wanted to flag that Higgins could absolutely have put an APB on the most conspicuous fucking vehicle in New York <laughs> City at this point, if he wanted to. Right. <laughs> It's a bright orange Range Rover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that car so yeah. much. <laughs> um, but all that was really just to like, like, I don't, I don't think Turner gets any like, uh, like actionable information, like plot information. He just kind of gets story thematic kind of stuff. You know, right. Higgins being the voice of like, we are, we are the machine. We don't give a shit about you. You'll be crushed. Don't, don't fuck with us. Uh, even though Higgins isn't necessarily like evil or part of the conspiracy. Um, but Turner's gonna, and, and like I said, like Turner, I don't think he gets any actionable information from that. He's his actionable information is going to be uh, from the key that the mailman stupidly was carrying around in his pocket when he tried to do the hit. Um, he goes to this key maker, which is actually really interesting. Uh, surprising. I mean, I, I kind of keyed in on this. Uh, sorry for the unintentional pun, but keyed in on this <laughs> idea that he's talking to the guy and he's saying, no, 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 no. You can see there's a there's a code on the side that tells you, like, wh who the manufacturer of the key is. Right. Um, and. Which is believable because he reads everything, right? He probably read how to make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is, it is. And the key, the, the locksmith guy that he's talking to is like, kind of like, you know, some of the uh, things that Turner is saying, like, you could do this, you could do this. He's like raising his eyebrow and saying like, are you in the trade? Like, mm -hmm. do you actually know what you're talking about? And he's like, well, I read a lot of books. Um, <laughs> it actually got so much more interesting to me when I, Accidentally, I was looking at the cast list, and this guy, this keymaker, let me find it here in our in our list. Uh, Sal Shilazi is the best way I can I can try to pronounce it. 
Uh, he's last billed on Wikipedia, Sal Shilzy as himself. Sal Shilzy, and that's the the locksmith that he's talking to here in this scene, is a real dude. Uh, and in the seventies, he was. Um, I don't want to say famous, but would have definitely been famous amongst uh, safe crackers, uh, key makers kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's totally legit. Uh, he had a call-in radio show for burglar, burglary prevention and, and talked a lot about security. Um, he, let's see. In 1982, he opened Thomas Edison's safe, which had been, like, uncracked by anyone else for 27 years. And in 76, he opened a a safe that was made in the mid-19th century that no one had been able to crack. Like, this guy is, like, a superstar. Uh Like, it's, it's like a cameo, but only for people that really care about, like, locks and keys <laughs> um yeah uh but but crazy and then so like, if you look at like the hacker level right today uh-huh. yeah, yeah it would have been like one of the dudes from anonymous or something right you know like in in that show mr robot there were like dudes that were from like the founders of anonymous or something oh i didn't that know was, that but yeah 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 but yeah like, that something would be like that right very very much so Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so I definitely don't want to take too far of a side trip on this, but like this idea that like there's numbers on keys, uh, usually that like you can decode and figure out like who the manufacturer was or who it goes to. Like this is totally legit. Uh, and I, it made me run and look at like all of my keys and look uh, at the different numbers and uh like if you if you just google it like what do the numbers on my keys mean i promise you you will find out some very interesting shit <laughs> um and then but i want to tie that off though by saying like this guy being this kind of superstar of of keymaker i think he could have just like based on my googling of what is possible to learn from a key by looking at it and reading the little printed numbers on it. Like you never look at those little numbers, right? right. You've never in your life, like questioned, like, why does this say Q one Oh seven eight three? I've asked the question and figured there was something for it, but I never looked into it. So yeah, like I was like, yeah, hey, whatever. It took yeah. me two seconds. Like, Oh, look a number. And then like, well, whatever. <laughs> Trust <Sponge> me. On. <laughs> <laughs> right. Google it, Google it. You'll spend 20 minutes on the subject. You'll be blown away. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> but, but then what, where, where I wrap around and how I want to get out of this part of talking about it is based on everything I saw, this guy at this level, like he wouldn't need to even read the numbers. He could have just taken a glance at it and said like, oh yeah, that's, uh, uh, what does it turn out to be? It was like a hotel or something. Yeah, no, it's a super chain. Like it's uh, oh God. like a Holiday Inn or something. Holiday Inn. I'm pretty sure yeah. it was Holiday Inn. Yeah, this guy would have just taken one look at it and said, "Like, oh yeah, that's a Holiday Inn key." Yeah. <laughs> um. 
So That's now a good find. That's a really good find. I thought so. It I was just like one of those like weird little wormholes that I just had one tiny question, like, does this make sense? And a quick little Googling, I was like, oh, shit, this makes actually a lot of sense. Let's yeah. get some plus buy points to that shit. Yep. <laughs> so, so now he's got the hotel location and a room key and a room number. And apparently, which had been mentioned, but just only very briefly, but... It is in there. I mean, uh-huh. I missed it on the first time, but when they were, uh, you know, doing their Laughlin group uh, at Langley and talking about Turner's resume, uh, Army, two years military service, Signal Corps. He was a telephone lineman uh, in that worked in switchboard maintenance. Uh. So even though it's just barely squeaked in there, you know, again, like we also had this question, like where, where did this guy's military training come from or whatever, but uh-huh, right. uh, they kind of squeak, they did kind of squeak in all the blinking. You could miss it. That uh-huh. he's really good at phone freaking. And, and that's what he's going to do. He's going to, he's going to steal some gear from uh, uh, some, some workmen that are just like out on the street. I I don't know. I don't know why he just needs like one briefcase of stuff that he can pull from the van, but he's the expert, not me. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So with that gear, with the hotel location, with the hotel's room number and with a phone number and with his experience, he, does a like a like a spook, spooky move like hey I'm on to you like like kind of spook the prey kind of thing by calling yeah. Jobert and yeah. just asking him if he thinks the condor is an endangered species it's obviously code for something uh, Jobert is prompted by that phone call into calling Atwood directly mm-hmm. Atwood correctly calls Jobert a fool for calling him at home. Minus right. five points. Right. Absolutely. That's how he got Atwood. That's how that's how he Well makes- wait, maybe it's not minus five points, because this is after the airport scene. Oh so right, right. Guys at Atwood's mansion or whatever the fuck he was like, no, I pred- I predicted you were here. Right? Like maybe he is the one that did that on purpose. That would make so much more sense to me because again, if we go back to the airport scene, it seems like he's been given a new contract. We don't know who the target is, but the only target that we see that wasn't otherwise explained is Atwood. Right. So you're right. Maybe this isn't minus five points. This is Joe bear playing three dimensional chess. Right, and since the contract's been changed, he's he's hooking up. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, this is great. This makes this movie a lot better for me. Yeah. Um, but after that, doesn't Turner call Langley or something like that? Yeah, he goes through a a, a Langley computer system, which is uh like some of it. 
sort of makes sense to me. Some of it seems to be on voice command, which I really did not think that we had that technology in 1975. Um, like it's a bit complicated and technical. I don't think I buy it on a couple levels, Uh but it was complicated enough to, uh, like, you know, for me to shrug and say, okay, I don't know if they had, well, they definitely had tracing back then. And, and you could tell from the movie that dial tones were a thing. And the trick that he has with that, like, uh, telephone worker equipment that he uses, that, that's technology has been around forever, you know, and, and I know they still use it if you have landlines, right? So, uh, what I really liked about this and what made my number two best tradecraft was because, and you already set this up because Turner worked on telephone stuff in the military. He already knew how to operate all this, which is kind of cool because this makes me feel like Sneakers with Dan Aykroyd's character was kind of like uh-huh. referencing some of this because totally. that's what Dan Aykroyd's character did the whole time was play with telephones and shit. And if you ever saw that movie Hackers, which was more about phone freaking, because that, that's how old, like that, as far as hacking goes. That's that's they would have been working with telephone like they did all kinds of shit like this. Um, but what I really loved about this was what Turner did was set up 50 different phones for that conversation he had with Langley. So when they were doing traces, um, I don't know if the maps would show up like they did. But oh, the, it's possible. No, the, com- the computer stuff is totally fake. Like it's it's weird. It's weird. Like pre-digital computer computer stuff like the way that text shows up on the on the screens and stuff that's all in post oh okay well whatever but the thing is is they were tracing the phone call and they traced the phone call but it kept jumping and the guy was like well what the hell's going on and he was like he's called from 50 different phones like I, 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 I made my number two best tradecraft and it's very believable considering his military experience. You know, it's a it's a path that he gets to. Uh, you know, eventually, like plot wise, is just to get Atwood's address. Right. And Atwood, why? Why is mm, shit? Now I forget again. Like, why is Atwood under suspicion? Oh, because Jobert called Atwood, and because he listened in on their conversation. Right. So now he knows that. Atwood is employing Jobert. So that's the reason he's going to go and visit Atwood. Uh, so Turner's on his way to Atwood. Higgins is living up on his promise to investigate on this shit. Uh, again, like there's some, just some really faulty, uh, unbelievable computer shit. Where like you know just pictures of the dead mailman uh, bring quickly bring up his real identity, um, you know this is not like they had facial recognition like that, but they could have just run his fingerprints. So whatever. Um, and and to Higgins, he's seeing like how the mailman Wicks and Jobert are all connected. Mm-hmm. Turner calls Higgins and asks who Atwood is. Probably a bad move. I don't think it's a good play to tell Higgins that you're after Atwood right before you uh, go after him. 
Higgins hears the name and doesn't say anything to anybody and he plays it off. So that tells the audience that Higgins isn't on team conspiracy, but was that after he kidnapped Higgins? Yes. Okay. So he would have already figured out that Higgins is on team, not bad guy. I'm not going to say he's on team good guy, but he's, he's on team, not bad guy. Right. I mean, uh, Higgins told Turner, that he would investigate, and we're seeing that he is. Right. But I don't know if that means that Turner should necessarily be trusting Higgins at this point. Right. And I would say he shouldn't. Right. Um, oh, and why would he use the name Atwood on a line that's probably being tapped, right? Yeah. yeah. He probably should have met with him and found a better way. You know, I'm going to meet you in a bus, be there alone, you know. But the fact that Joe Bear shows up could have been, I mean, because Atwood was in on that conversation. Oh, but yeah, like you said, like Atwood's name wasn't mentioned out loud. Higgins kept that card close to his chest. I like your theory best where Joe Bear was already planning on killing Atwood and just kind of following Turner along. And he was, I think he was leading him along. And that's why he made the call to Atwood. You know, we have our finale. We know Turner's on his way to Atwood's home. It's uh, whatever. You know, he points a gun (laughs) at him. He says, what's this all about? And Atwood doesn't even say anything. And Turner's like, it's oil. It's always oil. And he's just making this, like, fucking great connection of, like, what this all means without actually having extracted any fucking information. Chabert shows up. It's our theory that, uh, you know, like uh, Atwood was in the sight lanes all the time. We still don't know who decided that Atwood was going to be a problem. You know, he had also said in the um, in the airport conversation, like, I owe you Condor. Like, Condor is still, I've already been paid for Condor, so Condor is definitely going down. Um, and he said, I'll do Wix for free. He's already done Wix. Now, if this theory holds, he's done Atwood, but he already said, I've already been paid to do Condor. There he is right there. Just shoot him. (laughs) Uh, I don't understand at all why he wouldn't just, as a professional killer, just like tie this off or make it look like Turner killed or like that they mutually killed each other or some shit like that. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe the, it, it seemed to me like the plans changed. And, like, he, Jobert is all business, so maybe that contract was revoked or something. Yeah, but by who and, and for what reason and at what decision point, like, we never get to know. I, I think it's just a, a, a bit mysterious, which is okay for a movie, <laughs> but, I, but I still got to call it out when, Right, like, Absolutely. You know, Things just aren't uh, tied together. I like the fact that Jobert is got his uh, whole like, hey, it's over. Can I drop you somewhere? <laughs> that was so nice. I really enjoyed that. Like he, he he like basically expressed his admiration. He was like, you did really good. Even like offered him to like work in assassinations. Uh, but yeah, I love that. He was like, can I? Yeah, I love that line. Can I drop you somewhere? He also explains that, uh, you know, you you won't be able to have your old life because, right. uh, you know, they could come at you from anywhere. You know, this is how it'll go down. 
you know, right. a, a car will pull up next to you on the street. It'll be someone, you know, they'll wave you in and then you'll be done. And then fun trivia. <laughs> uh, there's a Seinfeld up episode. Let's see. It's called the junk mail. And uh, this is an episode where like Kramer doesn't want to get mail anymore. And he just wants to cancel all deliveries of all kinds of mail. Uh-huh. And uh, what's whatchamacallit? Um, there's there's that one super evil character that works for the post office. Oh, Newman. Right. Yeah. Uh, and in that episode, he gives the exact same speech to Kramer about like how the post office is going to take him out. <laughs> That's amazing. As, yeah, as was used in this movie. Giving aside the giant commercial for the New York Times, when he keeps saying, I know they'll print it, and then Higgins is like, how do you know? He was like, they'll print it. And then there's like some carolers singing like some like Christmas songs. And like the lyrics are like basically like Jesus is gonna save us from the devil, and like he looks what? at them. Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. Like he looks at the carolers. The camera looks at them, and the lyrics are like you know how Jesus craves their savior, and he's gonna come save us from this devil. And I was like, when did this movie go from like a spy film to like a New York Times advertisement to like a Christian film? But the the question on the table is, do they publish it? I say no. I don't think they do. Like historically, I, I would say yes, but I, I I don't know. I think we're supposed to be left with the question, especially after Higgins's speech. By the way, we didn't get to talk much about that, but just really quick, Higgins's speech is great because like Robert Redford's trying to Turner's trying to figure out like all the answers to all his questions, and Higgins is like, "Bro, like th- there's no evil plan. We just play games." People don't ask you to save their lives now because they have food. We're America. We got shit everywhere. But like when when their food's missing, when their oil's missing, when their water's missing, when their stores and clothes are missing, people who have never been hungry start to starve. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when they ask you for their help, for your help. <laughs> right. Yeah, they Higgins, ask you for, Higgins, yeah, Higgins is just a cold realist. Turner is a naive idealist, and I mm-hmm. guess Atwood is our cynical, a cynical opportunist. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. Based on that, like, did you think that the film had a like a strong message, or did you think it was muddled? And, and oh, I think that- the mess. I think the message was very strong. Muddled is a good way to describe it, uh, yeah. but it, it was it was kind of like messy. But I think the message was very strong. I think they gave us enough um, interaction with characters, you know, dialogue and scenes that really sold the message of the film. But I don't think, you know, as a package together, it was like very tightened up. Um, in the seventies, is known for like like really good writing, you know? Um, but it was also known for like being very experimental with like filmmaking. And like this, this isn't like an over the top example of that because there's a lot of weird movies from the seventies that they were just trying to be clever, but there's some moments where I think they were just trying to be clever. Like it wasn't like terrible, 
like trying to be clever, but it was like they were trying so hard to be clever. You know what I mean? I agree. And, and, I agree. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably going to, I enjoyed the movie, but I don't think I would really recommend it to anybody. Um, I think historically, as far as the spy genre goes, this is really important, but I, I don't know. Like, I think, I think I'm going to rate this pretty low. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like a two and a half or something, maybe a two. Well, I'm, I'm thinking two myself. Yeah. Uh, and, and for a lot of the reasons that you gave, uh, let's, let's also like, you know, we could flag, like, this is a really important artifact of, yeah. uh, spy movies. Um, you know, uh, there's so much DNA that you can, you can see in later movies, uh, that come from this. And also you can see the DNA that this movie is drawing from, from previous movies. Like, you know, this is kind of a, like a evolution of the everyman right. kind of character. And then, uh, you know, the abduction kind of stuff. Like I, I, I doubt that like red, uh, you know, that, you know, would have been written the way it was if, if those people hadn't grown up and bottle fed on three days of the condor. Um, my biggest hit is, uh, I could, I could lose Faye Dunaway entirely, entirely from this movie. Yeah. But you need uh, a romance in every movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it didn't it didn't add anything for me at all. None. Um even though like I I like I will say like their final like goodbye scene was really good. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of almost justified like almost landed the plane where you know he's saying like hey I just need you know, I just need two days. Just whatever you do, like just 48 hours, just try not to say anything to anyone. And she's like, of course I wouldn't like, like that felt like real and, and genuine, but, but that little payoff, like was not worth the fucking journey. Uh, I, I could have cut like that whole thing out. Um, And that's that's mainly why I'm at two stars. Let's go straight to park benches, and this is a uh, park park benches. It's a rating from uh, uh, zero to five, not on how good the movie was, but on how accurate we think it is a uh, reflection of tradecraft. Uh, my opening bid is a straight up three down the middle. I don't know. I think we can bump that up to at least a three and a half. All right. Because a lot of a lot of the stuff with the telephones. That was good shit. That was good shit. And then and then like the the I mean, even though I don't think it should be that easy to get someone in, I liked the play as far as like you know Kathy getting the interview to find what Higgins looks like and then like Talem. You know, I don't know. Well, we're looking at Spy Game, Samurai Spy, Good Shepherd, Departed, Miss Sloan. Yeah, I kind of like a three and a half. I think it was a little bit better than some of our other threes. You make your case. I mean, like, just the the good stuff is, is good. I'm going to meet you at a 3.5 park bench rating, especially because 
we have a park bench showing up in a sex scene. (laughs) (laughs) That enough is is worthy of a 0.5 bump, right? Just just due to that, we can't go below a 3.5. If you're going to fantasize about park benches uh, while getting nailed by uh, Robert Redford, uh, yeah, there's, there's something to be said for that. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You can find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.